Okay, Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking in, intently up into the sky. Um, as he was going, when suddenly, sorry, two men dressed in white stood beside the men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let me pray. I'm going to go back to Psalm 19 for a moment. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Lord, your word is true and it is right. We want ourselves to be refreshed. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Lord, teach us this morning. Don't leave us stupid, but make us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Lord, please uh, lift us up in our spirits this morning. Give us um, joy and delight uh, through what we hear. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Lord, we want to see our way more clearly. We pray that you'll do that for us this morning. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Lord, we want to get a picture of your awesomeness, your awesome reality, and the fact that you're here with us this morning. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Lord, warn us where we need to be warned this morning. Speak to our hearts, bring the conviction that gentle but clear conviction of your Holy Spirit. But who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So Father, we pray, Lord, there are sins we know about and we regret them and we tell you that we're sorry. There are things we don't even know about. Will you expose them to us this morning so that we don't carry on in them, carry on dishonouring you? Because we want to be innocent. We want to walk with you. Give us strength and insight to do that. And so we pray this. May the, these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so we spent some time in, in Luke. We, uh, the meals with Jesus um, before Easter. And, and now we turn to Acts um, it was a decision um, driven partly by the desire to, to think about the persecuted church, uh, to pick up the, the dangerous, um, dangerous faith material that comes from um, open doors. But it also makes a kind of natural um, twinning and continuation um, from the first of Luke's writing to, to the second. 
So I want to make this, I want to make this point, and, and uh, that, that you know this, but or maybe, maybe we know it, but we don't really know it, that, that Luke and Acts are always intended um, to, to go together. So there's a, there's a logic in, in bringing the one after the other, because they're always intended um, to go together. We call one Luke's Gospel, we call the, the other one Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, and they're the two longest works um, in the New Testament. And each of them is about the maximum number of words you could get on a scroll. Scrolls came in standard sizes, and it was about the maximum number of words you could get. So Luke, he couldn't have put them both on, on one scroll. And maybe if he'd had a different technology, um, like printing, or he could have put it on a USB stick, um, maybe he would have you know, made them kind of one book, but he couldn't. But they are clearly designed to go together. Um, and we can tell that for a number of reasons. They're, they're addressed to the same person. So they're both addressed to this guy named Theophilus. It means loving God or, or loved by God. Um, so it could be a pseudonym. Um, to protect his identity, but there's no reason to think it's um, not his real name. It's addressed um, to uh, the equivalent of your excellency. So he's a man of standing in the, in the Roman world. Um, he's received some Christian teaching already. We can tell that, that Luke says he wants him to know the certainty um, of what he's been taught. So here's this guy. He needs to navigate um, the Roman world um, he, he's up there amongst the officials. Maybe he's a member of the council um, or, or whatever. And, and Luke writes to him. And so we can tell that the same, that two parts of the same thing is that they address the same person. They share the same um, concerns. And the concern Luke has is that Theophilus is sure and certain um, and affirmed in his faith. And so Luke wants to show in both of these books um, that the faith that Theophilus is taking on is something based in reality and in history. So Luke writes his gospel um, to show the, the historical reality of the work of Christ. And then Luke writes Acts to show how this gospel, this work of Christ, really works out and really has an, an impact um, on the world um, through the church. As we said, Theophilus needs to know that Christianity is, is not at odds with the Roman authorities. So it'd be an interesting thing to do is to kind of scan through um, Luke and Acts if, you, if you've got the time and see how often um, Christianity um, interacts with uh, the Roman authorities. Um, and apart from, well, I suppose even with Pilate, you'll find how, how often um, the Roman authorities don't condemn um, Christianity in, in, in Luke and Acts. Um, and that's because um, poor old Theophilus, he needs to know this. He needs to be assured um, that he can hold on to the Christian faith. He needs to know that his faith has um, solid roots. So in, in that day, uh, new religions, I suppose as we would say today, if a religion pops up um, and it's been around for six months, you, you, you're not likely to trust it or take it really seriously. Um, and that was all the more so in the Roman times. You, you, wanted a, uh, you needed to know that a, a faith was only taken seriously if it had uh, firm historical roots. And, and, and so Luke wants to link together. Um, he uses the word fulfill quite a lot. He wants to link together um, the faith that Theophilus believes with the Old Testament and predictions from the Old Testament. They share the same concern. So we can see that Luke and Acts, they, they share the same concern that the gospel is for all people. And in Luke, the gospel is for all people vertically. It's for all people from different strata of society, um, from people who are outcasts to people who are, are, are chief tax collectors. And in Acts, Luke says the gospel is for all people 
kind of horizontally, as it were, people in all kind of places um, and over all nations. And they both show the, the Holy Spirit at work. All the more so after Jesus returns to his Father, but you'll see in Luke that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, pops up quite a lot. Um, and the gospel spreads by the power of the Holy Spirit. People speak um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the gospel spreads even in the midst of, and sometimes because of, um, persecution. So I want to offer you kind of four brief ways, four brief reassurances um, that Luke is offering Theophilus. And these are reassurances um, that you can pick up today. And for the first one, we're going to go back to uh, the preface to Luke's gospel. Because they're two works that are joined together, so you get a preface at the beginning, an introduction at the beginning of Luke, and that applies to both documents, and then you get a kind of mini preface um, at, at the beginning of Acts, which just kind of links the two together. And so at the beginning of Luke, if you've got your Bible there or your phone there, look it up. Um, it'll help you this morning. And Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up uh, an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke is, is really concerned to write a, a, a history. It's, so his, his understanding a little bit different from the other gospel writers who kind of write as evangelists. He, he's writing as a historian. So he wants them to know um, that the Christian faith that Theophilus is offered is based on real events, these things that have been fulfilled among us. And they're not just real random events, they're real events that fulfill Old Testament prophecies. He says they were told by the eyewitnesses. He says they were handed down of those who were eyewitnesses from the first. And those people were the apostles. We'll see uh, in Acts, if you were to read on into Acts 2, that when they choose another apostle, it's somebody who has to be an eyewitness from the first. So even though Luke is an eyewitness to some of these events, he doesn't include himself here. He says he's carefully investigated. And I think this is really in interesting, because what, what does Luke mean that he carefully investigated thing? Well, an interesting thing happened. If you were to read um, in uh, Acts 22, I think it is, 21, 22, Luke, Paul comes home from his third missionary journey. He brings Luke with him, um, and they arrive in Jerusalem. This is about AD 57. Um, Paul is subsequently arrested, and he's transferred to a prison or, or a, a house arrest, um, in Caesarea, um, up the coast a little bit. And he's there for two years, the best part of a couple of years, until the governor Felix is replaced by the governor Festus. And then when he's arrested, then two years later, when Paul is um, taken off to Rome, Luke goes with him. In other words, there's this two-year gap, AD 57 to, to 59, where Luke has kind of time on his hands, uh, maybe. But he's so Luke has these two years in Palestine to pursue his investigations, to do his careful um, investigation. So by the time he writes Acts, he has personal knowledge of Nazareth, of Capernaum, of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, of Emmaus, uh, of Lydda and Joppa and, and Caesarea. He had time to go to these places uh, and investigate the locations that he writes about. 
He's not. Although he's a historian and the events he writes about um, are from sources, um, he, he's investigated, he's been and he's seen and he's looked. He's had time to meet with Mary. He must have met with Mary or somebody who knew Mary. She would have been relatively old by that stage. But there's no other way of getting those stories from Luke, Luke 1 and 2. So he will have met with Mary. He will have met with John Mark. He would have met with Philip, the evangelist. He would have met with Peter and John. He would have met with James, the Lord's brother. He's had time where he could have met first uh, hand with, with, uh, with those people. I actually think James was executed by then. That's probably not true. And he would have heard the accounts then of the ascension, the day of Pentecost, the martyrdom of Stephen, um, the conversion of Cornelius, the execution of James, um, and the imprisonment and the release of Peter and all these stories. So when he says he's carefully investigated, he means I've been there, I've looked at it, and I've talked to the people who were there. So that carefully investigation, careful investigation is quite important for us, really. And then he says he's written an orderly account. He says he acknowledges that others have already written an account, um, and indeed he uses some of their material. Um, but he says, I'm writing you an orderly account. He says, I've got more, and I want to put it all like a historian um, lays, lays it out. Uh, and of course, once it's written down, it's ready to be read. And so Theophilus can read it, and he can know the certainty of the things he's been taught. What is this, what's the important, why does this matter? Why does this matter for, for you and me? Because we believe like Theophilus that something historical has happened. Christian faith is not uh, a, a nice belief um, that you tag onto something that's not really real. Christian faith believes that something historical has happened. We believe in a historical Jesus. We believe in a historical resurrection. We believe that the events of Jesus' life, they were prophesied ahead of time. Our faith rests on, on real historical events, and Luke wants us to know that and have the best possible account that we have. So Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So faith is trusting in things that are invisible to us because they're either spiritual realities, we can't see Jesus reigning now, we can't see the, the Holy Spirit himself, we can't see God, we can't see the future, we, we can't see heaven. So we need real historical grounding, Luke says. There is real historical reason for you to trust that these things are true and put your faith in them. And you access that history by reading I'd encourage you to go and read Luke, Luke and Acts together. They're great, easy reads. Um, but you will not find assurance outside the scriptures. You won't find assurance. You won't find actually the reality of Christ um, without reading. This is just the nature uh, of the faith. So you can be reassured by the, the, uh, the history we um, are reassured by the apostolic transmission. So um, at the start of Acts then, we get this little linky passage. Um, in my former book, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and, uh, and teach. It's kind of a little bit of an implication that maybe this is about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. But if that's true, he's, he's not doing it in person anymore. He's delegated it. In fact, he's delegated it to the apostles to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus spends 40 days um, teaching the apostles. These are the guys he'd chosen. They've been with him from the start. He appeared to them and gave them many convincing proofs, um, uh, Luke says. 
It's a technical term. It's a, a technical term for a necessary proof. So Luke believes that the necessary proofs for you to believe that Jesus is alive have been given. Jesus gave them the necessary proofs um, that, that he's alive. And then he instructed them about the, the kingdom of God um, uh, through the spirit. That was their question. Um, is, is now the time for the kingdom of God to come? Well, Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom of God. They should have known about that by now. And Jesus instructs them through the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to get your head around. What does that mean that he spoke to them by the Holy Spirit? Not really clear, but I think it's just a reminder that, um, as we'll see all the way through the book of Acts, that when people speak uh, for God, they speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, we were told in John, who will remind uh, the apostles of what Jesus taught. It's the Holy Spirit who will empower the church uh, for witness and for, for speaking. What does that mean for us? Well, think about it for a moment. These, these conversations that, that Jesus had with the, with the 11 disciples here, he taught them about the kingdom of God. You have the fruit of those conversations written down in front of you or on your phones or on your Bible, uh, if it's at home. Um, you have the fruit of those conversations written down. So the characters that are going to appear, um, they're going to appear in Acts, if you're going to read it, those characters, Peter and Paul um, and, 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 and John um, and James. Well, Peter spent time in conversation with Jesus here. Um, and uh, Paul spent time in conversation with Jesus later on. And so this understanding that Jesus has given them about the kingdom at that point is here in you for the scriptures for you to pick up for yourself. The point I'm making is, that, is this, that you have here, you have in front of you the, the words of the apostles, the same apostles who received instruction from Jesus. You have in front of you the word of God. You have Jesus' words, Jesus' understanding of the kingdom uh, written down and applied for you in the New Testament. And it's just an encouragement to go and read it and say, hey, I want to know Jesus. I want to understand Jesus. Well, it's here. Jesus' understanding is here. We can be reassured by the Spirit's empowering. So Jesus, on, on one occasion, um, while he was eating, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. Um, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized um, with the Holy Spirit. And, and the apostles, by that, they think that Jesus, if the Holy Spirit's going to come, they're still in their old frame of mind. They think if the Holy Spirit's going to come, then, then uh, God's going to make everything God's going to make everything new. The Romans are going to be um, kicked out of, uh, out of Israel. And if the Spirit's coming now, then surely that's going to happen now. And Jesus corrects them. They're, they're wrong about the nature of the kingdom. They're wrong about the timing. They're actually wrong about the scope of the kingdom. Time is not now. Jesus says the Father's business, um, the, the timing, the, in the sense that the, the kingdom is now, but there's a sense in which the kingdom is not now. It's the Father's business, the kingdom, timing. The kingdom is not just about Israel, it's about uh, all nations. The king is not about driving out the Romans by force. It's about one person at a time coming to know God um, through Jesus um, as, as people witness to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom is spiritual, not political. 
kingdom is international. But also the way it grows means that the kingdom is gradual. Until Jesus returns, the kingdom growth is going to be gradual. It's going to grow as people tell the gospel, tell the good news about Jesus by the power of the Spirit to another person and they believe and turn to Christ. What does it mean for us? It means when you go out of here today, you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you and to empower you to witness for Christ. If you're going to be a witness for Christ, if you're going to tell the gospel, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to work. And so I suggest, I'm suggesting this morning that you pray. Pray that the God gives you these things by his Spirit. Pray that he gives you, this is nothing new, I've told you this before, pray that he t- gives you opportunities to witness. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you will know that just one of those God-given moments, you'll say, oh, this happened. Um, I, I met so-and-so and we had this lovely conversation. Or you'll say, such, you know, such and such happened and, and, and you met somebody or they came to your mind and you texted them and, uh, uh, and this or that happened. You know what a God moment looks like if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Well, pray for more of them. Just encourage you to pray for opportunities to witness to Christ. And God will give them to you. Pray for eyes to see them. Sometimes we're a bit blind, aren't we? So pray for the Holy Spirit to give you sight. The problem then is we don't have courage to take them. So pray ahead of time that the Holy Spirit will give you courage to take them. Holy Spirit gives boldness. It's one of the things we see him doing in Acts. The Spirit of God doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, Paul says. It's the Spirit's job to make you courageous enough to witness. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootlaces. And pray for wisdom to know what to say. We can't quite often, we're fearful. And we just don't know what I'm going to say. But again, go back to those God moments, and you'll find that you knew what to say in those moments. And, and Jesus says, again, recorded by Luke, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't know, worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. Now, I hope you don't get um, pulled up in front of Spellthorn Council, but it's looking more and more likely, um, or you get arrested by the police. Though, again, that's looking more and more likely. But you don't need to fear what, in any of these encounters, what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit will teach you at, at that time what you should say. So please, will you start to think about this and start to pray this? Pray for opportunities to share your faith. Eyes to see them, courage to take them, wisdom um, to know what to say. And do you see what's happened if we pray that? Suddenly we've asked the Holy Spirit to take the strain for all the things that we find difficult. We've asked him to take the strain in the opportunities so that we don't have to create them. We've asked him to take uh, the strain in the courage so that uh, we don't have to pick ourselves up. We've asked him to take the strain um, in, in the wisdom. You have all that you need if you've prayed about it ahead of time. Finally, briefly, we can be reassured that Jesus is, is, is risen and ruling. Jesus is taken up before their very eyes. Marks the end of the resurrection experiences. There's no more, it's going to be no more teaching from Jesus. Once he's ascended, he's gone back to his father's side. This is the moment that Jesus is, is, is seated on his throne. And so he, he says, um, uh, in the words that Matthew records, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All witnessing and, and discipling 
takes place in the context of the all-powerful rule of Jesus. All witnessing and, and discipling um, takes place in the presence, the personal presence with you um, of Jesus because he is ascended. And through his spirit, he is personally present and in heaven, he is ruling. All witnessing and discipling takes place in that context. So this is the moment when responsibility is handed over, the baton is passed. The preaching was Jesus and it's now, or the witnessing at least is yours. It's mine. And it's a moment of opportunity. This is the time, this is the time. You and I, now is the time. We are living between the ascension and the return of Christ and the return of Christ that is promised. It is a moment of opportunity. It is the only moment of opportunity. Um, that people have to hear the gospel uh, and get right with God. And when Jesus returns, which we don't know when that will be, then that opportunity is over. When Jesus returns, there will be judgment. There are no more opportunities um, to turn to Christ. This is the moment. You and I, we are in this moment between the ascension um, and the return of Jesus. So I want to ask you to think about two things. I'll just get this in, I think, before you have to go and get your kids. First one, steal yourself for persecution. Steal yourself for, for persecution, even, even as we pray against it. There's no reason that Christianity should be at odds with society, but society is choosing to be at odds with Christianity. As a Christian, you, you will be considered offensive sooner or later. So let me stick with that. The gospel itself is offensive. Tells people that they are sinners who, who cannot save themselves. That's offensive to a lot of people. Paul said it would be offensive. Jesus said it would be offensive. There's only one way of rescue, and that's through the death of Jesus on the cross and saying, uh, I take that, Jesus died for me. I take that as being um, for me, and that's offensive to a lot of people. The other thing I think as we unlock is to maybe look for different ways, new ways to engage with your community. I don't know how it's been in, in your road. We now have a Stainash Crescent group WhatsApp chat, which is a kind of like a, it's a mixed blessing, shall we say? Um, you probably have one of those as well, but maybe you know those people better than you did before. Uh, I think that's certainly true, uh, you know, up and down. I know my neighbours better um, than, I, than I did before. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the gospel? How do you want to engage with your community or your bit of the community? So I could say, you know, sometimes I could say, what do you think the church should do in engaging with our community? But usually that becomes an exercise in, in saying how other people are lacking. So I just want you to say, how do you want to be engaging with, with, with your community now that uh, things are unlocking and, and opportunities are opening up? And the other, another big question we have to answer going forward is what are the good works prepared in advance for us to do that God wants you to do? What's on your heart? Who are the people you want to reach with the gospel? Who are the people you want to serve um, in the good works that God's prepared in advance for us to do? And I think maybe we'll have a little survey at the end of the series and, and ask you um, about those questions. So Luke wants you to be reassured about your faith. And particularly he wants you to be reassured that your faith is real and historical so that you can stand up and you can witness to it in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
even in the face of, of possible opposition. And he tells you today that your faith is historical. It comes down to us from Jesus through the apostles. Your faith came to you um, by the Holy Spirit's work and it will only be passed on to somebody else as you speak um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. All this witnessing and all this discipling that we do takes place uh, in the context of Jesus ruling and Jesus personally present with us. So Jesus said this to the apostles and he says it to you, I think. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You ready for a bit of that? Let's pray. If you need to go get your kids, then feel free. Father God, we ask for a, a, an anointing, a blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us. Please come upon us by your Spirit today, even now, as, as we're gathered in your presence as your people. And so we know that you promised to be with us. Thank you. Lord Jesus, you are with us. You are amongst us this morning by your Spirit. And we want to ask that you move and change us, speak to us, embolden us, inspire us to be more vocal. We are your witnesses as the Holy Spirit works through us. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to give us courage. Give us courage to start some praying. Start with some praying and some reading. And we look forward to seeing what the Holy Spirit will do. In Jesus' name, amen.